From the Bent Pixel Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Phone Booth Fighting, your twice-weekly and absolutely free podcast covering the world of mixed martial arts and so far beyond with that guy. Frank Marazar. The two-time <laughs> UFC heavyweight champion. Hopefully, as you uh, get older, Frank, that doesn't uh, become more and more of a necessity. I hope we don't get to that point. Yeah, it's starting to kind of get there now. Frank Mir. And, of course, the current Bellator heavyweight contender. We'll talk about some Bellator here in a little bit as well as some UFC. And uh, this guy, me, Richard Hunter, the uh, court gesture of uh, the uh, phone booth fighting comedic duo. Uh, We've got uh, got a a big UFC to talk about, some big UFC news to talk about, some Bellator news as well. Actually, in fact, Frank, I was thinking about this as we sat down in the studio today. We've been so guest intensive the last few episodes. If you've missed any episodes, go back and check them out. Our last episode, uh, we had UFC fighters James Vick and uh, Sadiq uh, Yusuf on. Uh, Vic, by the way, was on fire. We got to talk about what he did at the uh, UFC press conference, by the way, too, hyping up his uh, fight here in a couple of weeks against Justin Gagey. Uh, that was our last episode. The episode before that, the uh, backyard barbecue with Donald Cowboy Cerrone and his entire biker gang. That was a, a very special event. Before that, we had Billy Bob Thornton and his band, The Boxmasters. I mean, this was all within the span of about two weeks. We sat down to do the show tonight. I was like, man. It's just going to be you and me talking fights for an episode yeah, for a change. We can different do pace that. for a change. Yeah, we, can, we like the guests, but it's also good to uh, just have a romantic podcast for two, I think, as well. Uh, so uh, I saw the fights. You saw the fights. How was your weekend, by the way? We, we didn't get to watch the fights together because uh, I had a very metal weekend. I had to go see uh, White Snake, and then White Snake was done at 10 o'clock, which was just in time for me to rush over to Vamped here in Las Vegas to see Jeff Tate, the former lead singer of Queensryche, perform their seminal album, Operation Mind Crime, in its entirety. I just went ahead and assumed I wasn't going to run into you over there. Yeah, unless you invited me, I'm not probably going to be there. Yeah, and you should come out one night, though. It'd be fun to see you over there at Vamped. It's like a whole club full of people that look like me. And, uh, be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be fun. What, uh, what, what did you you watch the? Did you watch the fight with Travis? Yeah, his uh, his daughter's birthday was a. Uh, yes, a, yes. Happy birthday to Olivia, uh, Travis, our original producer here on Phone Booth Fighting. If you go that far back with us, of course, nowadays we have Porno Mikey. Not today, by the way. He's off working. He's shooting somewhere, shooting somebody uh, or a couple of somebody's probably a lot hotter than us. But uh, our original producer, who we love so much, Travis, uh, he, uh, he he did a little, uh, so what do you do, birthday party, and then Yeah, we went to Crystal Palace, did some skating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually made a couple rounds. Oh, yeah, you got on roller skates? I did. Well, because, you know, that. Cage at first kind of wasn't, and I, I start to notice that Cage imitates me a lot, you mm-hmm. know, you know, mm-hmm. his father, his sons and fathers will do. Yeah. And so, you know, 
Bella and Ronan jump out there and so I'm like sitting there in cages like nah you know he's kind of being cool and I'm like I'm not too cool I'm just just tired mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a long week of training the idea of skating around in a circle didn't seem ideal to me at the moment but then uh, when I realized he wasn't going to I was like well I'm gonna skate and then I got him to get on skate yeah. so do you find yourself skating in fight stance just by instinct uh I do a good job because I my balance is pretty well, but it's very obvious that I am not a good skater mm-hmm. because I don't. I mean, I was trying to think about that. I think the last time I put skates on, I was in high school, mm. so it'd been a while. So the first couple laps, I was I was pretty close to the wall. Yeah, <laughs> making sure, but I didn't eat shit, so we're good. I actually I had uh, apologized via text to Travis for I actually forgot about Olivia's birthday party because he had invited us a couple of weeks back. And I said, man, I, I, in fact, I saw, I think I saw Jennifer's Instagram post about it. And I was like, wait a second. Oh, that was shit. That was this weekend. So I texted him. I said, oh man, I forgot about the birthday party. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. it. You know, it wasn't a ton of fun for adults. And I said, please, sir, let me tell you, I have a vivid memory of uh, a roller rink couple skating with my first girlfriend to Chicago's hard to say I'm sorry and if you're familiar with the tune uh, it's a ballad but the extended play which you didn't often hear on the radio is at the end it goes into this real up-tempo horn section uh, part and they would typically cut that off on the radio because otherwise the song would be like seven or eight minutes long and I never wanted to hear that upbeat part when I was listening on the radio, except in that instance, when I was holding my girlfriend's hand, I remember skating around a circle going, oh, man, I hope they play the long version. Sure enough, when it kicked in, when we get there, going to jump in the air. I was like, all right. Now, you know, you, were, you never did the rollerblades, though, right? You were always the quad. You know what? I think I'm so old yeah. that they didn't have rollerblades. <laughs> Back in my day, you can actually get rollerblade rentals now. Oh wow! So when I went, I remember if you wanted to wear rollerblades uh, at uh, at the at the roller rink, yeah. you, you brought them. You know, yeah. The ones you rented were always the little quad yeah. skates. Is that the proper term? Uh, just roller I, skates. I think just regular just skates. Roller skates. Yeah, just yeah. So regular roller yeah. skates. And then uh, when I first got there, Travis had a pair of rollerblades on. I'm looking. I'm all, oh, do you rollerblades? Oh no, I'm all. So you bought a pair of rollerblades just for today? Because uh-huh. no, you can rent them. I'm like, no shit, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. So then, but then I thought I was like, nah, I'll get the regular roller skates because I don't want to look like I actually know what I'm doing. Yeah. I want to be judged as a father yeah. that's just going out there with his kids to have fun, right. not as somebody who's actually trying to, you know. Because then it's like, you know, you get put in a different category. I wanted to stay in the amateur league, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever even actually been on rollerblades. I don't think I've ever even had a pair on. I had a pair when I was younger. Yeah. That's yeah. when everybody was into street hockey. And- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I ever even uh, even had any. But anyway, yeah, I would have uh, I would have enjoyed the roller rink. I wouldn't have minded going to yeah. uh, to do that. That would have been fun. That was fun. We just sat and hung out, and then afterwards we we did we retired back to uh, Travis's place and mm-hmm. uh, ordered food, hung out, and put the fights on. Very nice. Well, I got to uh, catch him on replay. Uh, as soon as I got home from rocking, and uh, I guess we'll just go in order from top to bottom here. UFC 227 was live from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, headlined, co-headlined by two UFC titles. The main event uh, had TJ Dillashaw defending his bantamweight title against Cody Garbrandt. Of course, it was back in November. Uh, that Garbrandt took the title away, or rather, uh, Dillashaw took the title away from Garbrandt by knocking him out in the second round. This time, uh, Dillashaw did it quicker. He knocked out Garbrandt 
in the first round, and it was a slugfest while it lasted. Um, you know, th- that first fight, uh, Frank, which actually went two rounds, to me, we talked about this uh, last week in our preview of it, was for that style of fight was just kind of perfection for me because both guys are rock. Dillashaw was in trouble before Garbrandt was in trouble. It was a real back-and-forth affair, and if it's not going to last very long, it's it's exciting to see that tale of two fights, and those fight styles, my gosh. I mean, Garbrandt is – who is normally really known for his – striking for his boxing i mean that was that was something that got him to the mm-hmm. point uh you know and and even getting past dominic cruz who he yeah. himself is one of the best at that but that that firefighting style with dillashaw i mean is literally playing with fire and i wondered you know sometimes with these rematches especially with dynamic initial encounters sometimes the rematches are a little more tentative not the case here in fact if anything it was wilder and probably lasted uh, a shorter amount of time because of it both guys were uh, were all in but uh, this was um, more in the favor of Dillashaw he outstrikes Garbrandt uh, 34 to 10 uh, 22 to 10 on significant strikes. Uh, drop Garbrandt once before he uh, finished him for good. I mean, that's that's the story of the fight. Uh, your thoughts? Any? You know what? I think I still had the fight even after the first fight. Uh, when people were asking me, "Hey, who do you think's going to win?" I'm like, "Shit, I don't know." You mm-hmm. know, and I think that my last words right before the fight started. Uh, Isabella was talking to me. She says, what do you think? I'm like, well, TJ is a more complete martial artist as far as takedown, strikes, hands, feet, everything. You know what I mean? Uh, the guy is good everywhere. Do you know what I mean? I can't pick out a part where I, I question whether he could fight there or not yeah. and not excel. And not where he's just okay there, where he's good everywhere. Mm-hmm. He really is. And his switch stances and stuff. Um, but then I was like, but the explosive boxing of, of Garbrandt is his advantage. You know, he has great power and, and speed with his punches um, that, you know, that, you know, throws him. But then as the fight went on, and, and in hindsight, listening to them talk and then watching it play out, I think I realized that I think Ludwig and, 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 and Dillashaw, they've f- seen a flaw in um, – in Garbrandt's style, and it comes out because, because they kept saying the emotional thing. He, he's in a fight, emotional fight, emotional. And I was like, you know, what does that mean? You know, really to fight emotional. What, what is that playing into? And I realized watching it, and my take was on it. When Garbrandt throws one, two, one, two, three punches, his style, he really doesn't make a mistake. He never comes past his knee, really. His chin over his lead leg. Uh, his combinations are, are tight. Uh, it's when he throws that fourth punch, hmm. and usually that fourth punch is when he's in a brawl with you, which I can see that being related to an emotional response, mm-hmm. him wanting to knock your head off. If you watch it, every time he's been hit hard in both fights now, he lurches forward with his body and he flings that right hand as a hook. He normally doesn't do that. If you watch his past fights and if you watch even during the fights you know, with, with Cruz, he stays, his hand will move first, and he stays behind it, and he throws a, a, almost a picture-perfect right hand. But when he throws in those melees, he has so much power and confidence, and it's almost kind of he abandons a little bit of his protective technique, mm-hmm. and he throws. And then because he's so powerful and he comes forward, he's running into punches. And I think what they've seen 
And until Garbrandt fixes that one tell, I think Garbrandt or Dillashaw is okay with getting in brawls with him because he realized, oh, I, I'll stand southpaw, right side forward, right? And when I see him initiate a combination, I'm going to do a check hook. I'm going to put my weight towards my back foot and throw a hook punch because I know that he's coming forward with the right hand and he's going to run into it. I don't have to throw it at him. I don't have to reach him because he's so aggressive on that uh, 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 brawl, mm -hmm. on that three or four punch combination that, that when he throws that right hand, his chin's exposed, he throws with his chest first, and he flings it. Now, if he lands it, he's putting all, all his, his cards are in 100% power, you know? It's just that he's left open because actually when it first happened and he got knocked down again with a with the hook the way he did i was like i wonder if garbrandt doesn't have the greatest chin in the world I'm not saying he has a glass jaw mm -hmm. by any stretch of the mm -hmm. imaginations but but you know dillashaw took a powerful right hand that he walked into and was able to recover mm -hmm. where you see now that like those those are hook shots that are spinning and catching him and, and, and hurting him but then when i was actually this morning at practice we were talking about it with uh, uh with john wood mm -hmm. and uh he said well you know he brought up the fact, well, you know, he runs into it. I'm like, mm -hmm. and that's when I started running through my head. I'm like, you know what? You're right. And, and if you think about it, Dillashaw said something about when he throws his right hand, I'm throw my right hand. Or when he throws the right hand, we'll throw right hands at the same time. Yeah. I'm like, that's a weird statement. You know what I mean? Like, I've never in all my years of listening to fights, I've never heard a corner say, or I've never heard another fighter go, okay, when he throws his right hand, you throw your right hand. You know, beat him to it. I'm all, that's not sound strategy mm -hmm. as far as i'm concerned i'm like wow you know you're gonna go first and then i'm gonna try to race you and beat you with the same shot but now realizing the difference of stances and because of what exposure what you know what flaw in the technique that garbrandt has i can see now it's like oh when he starts to throw his punch fade back and throw my right he's going to run into it because he's moving from right to left throwing that powerful right backside hook yeah yeah it it and do you think it's also the kind of thing that uh, uh, it takes a you know an, an elite level, a, a, a champion like Dillashaw to to ferret that oh, out. Yeah, that we maybe, can all, okay, come on. Well, what I'm saying is that maybe Garbrandt on the climb up, you know, has been able to be a little more um, adventurous with stuff like that and not get caught. You know, well, and then, I think it's accumulation of all things. I yeah. think it's, you know, he could have that coach's mind. Mm -hmm. Him and Dwayne Ludwig could sit back and break down a fight. I mean, shit, I'm sure most of our fans can sit there and watch a fight and break down strategy and go, well, this guy should be doing this. And you're absolutely right. That guy should do this. Mm -hmm. But doing it <laughs> while the other guy is not trying to cooperate is a whole different situation. Yeah. So I think that's really what makes Dillashaw special is that not only does he have the right mind for it and he has a good camp you know, and, and, and obviously good strategy, but he's just a very good athlete too. So And he's well trained. So he can sit there and under that kind of composure, you know, under that kind of stress, having Cody Garbrandt, arguably probably the hardest puncher in the Bantamweight class, mm -hmm throwing punches at him and he could sit there and go okay well i'm going to fade back I, you know even if it comes close i know that my shot's going to land and and staying in the pocket more and which he kind of did in this fight if you watch he was he had his hands up but he was much more engaging with the boxing i think knowing that that check hook that 
you know, that fade back hook was going to catch him. And, you know, that's the part, again, about being a champion is that we could sit here with X's and O's all day long. I could break down every fighter in the world. All of us can be broken down. Uh, you know, no one's perfect. But, you know, now it's like, okay, now, which one of us is going to implement the game plan? Mm -hmm. Who's going to be able to go out there and actually do that against that guy to make sure it actually, you know, follows through? There was um, talk after the fight of uh, Joe Rogan brought it up to T.J. Dillashaw directly in the post-fight comments about T.J. quite possibly being the greatest UFC Bantamweight of all time. It's hard to make that. It's an item. interesting conversation to have. First of all, you've you've got to factor in that uh, uh, the bantamweight division is one of the newer divisions historically to the UFC, so you don't have quite as much history yeah. to take into consideration. Uh, but I mean, you you look at at the record: a pair of knockout victories over uh, Cardi, uh, Cody Garbrandt, a win over John Lineker, a win over uh, Rafael Sunsau, uh the loss to. Dominic Cruz. That's the only problem I have with the argument. Mm -hmm. I think Dominic Cruz right now probably has a better argument for being considered the mm -hmm. the best mm -hmm. bantamweight of uh, of uh, you know so far of the UFC's the, mm -hmm. the weight class is its creation. Um, you know his only real defeat that we've seen was by the hands of Cody, caught him, mm -hmm. you know, beat him up for five rounds. And I know that now that TJ beat him back twice, but, you know, Dominic has wins over TJ or mm -hmm. has a win over TJ. Uh, I think if TJ can get a rematch with Dominic and beats Dominic Cruz, mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in. I mean, right now, I'm not going to argue with you that it's not him, mm -hmm. but I'm saying that if another guy says, hey, Dominic Cruz, I'll be like, hey, he has a good point, guys. You right. know what I mean, like those two are in the conversation for the two best. Mm -hmm. And that being said, one guy has a victory over the other, so it kind of leans that way. So I think if TJ wants to have that moniker, beat Dominic Cruz. You yeah. beat Dominic Cruz, and then I'll be on that bandwagon to say that, yes, you are the best bandwagon that we've ever seen. And that loss was a close fight, too, a split decision yeah. loss. So a uh, fight of the night performance from both guys. So, yeah, and uh, gosh, you forget about this, but, I mean, the, the pair of wins over Hen and Burrell. Remember yeah. that? Remember That's when, what really put him on the map. Oh, God, yeah. Remember when T.J. Dillashaw was considered the one of the biggest – underdogs going mm -hmm. against Hen and Burrell. Well, and at that point, Hen and Burrell, I think, was undefeated for like yes. what, 30 fights. He had a crazy streak going. He destroyed and Uriah Faber in one round. I mean, yep. and Uriah Faber is is a legendary top five of all time, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Bantamweight, former WEC champ, you know, basically only ever lost championship fights, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, that guy is incredible. You know what I mean? He had an incredible career. And then so to see somebody destroy Uriah like that, mm -hmm. I thought at that point, I think Hennon was considered pound for pound the best fighter yeah. in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll like, tell you what, and, and, and that was a defining moment with me and TJ Dillashaw as well in terms of my perception of him for a couple of reasons right around that stretch. Um, one, I mean, just the, the sheer upset aspect of it aside – with Hen and Burrell, in that first fight, he was beat, He was shutting Hen and Burrell out on the cards, and he finished him in the fifth round when he didn't need to. I mean, all he had to do was just maintain, and he would have maintained. I don't think Hen and Burrell was, was going to have some Rocky-like comeback, but Dillashaw went for the finish. Then, same thing with Joe Soto, because if you remember that, yeah, Soto, Soto stepped in short yeah. notice because Burrell – 
fainted before they yeah, could weigh in. Yeah, bathtub type thing. Finished him uh, in the in the same sense. Finished him in the fifth round after he was shutting him out on the cards. Then rematch with Hennenborough, and this time beat him in the fourth. Which, if if you look at the the same thing that he did with Garbrandt, he improved. Yeah, he's getting better. No, I, yeah, he beat him around earlier than he did the last time. I thought TJ, if you would have asked me a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. I thought it was his style didn't exude a lot of power mm-hmm. you know I, I thought it was too much movement um you know kind of like dominic cruz at times doesn't exude a lot of power so much movement you know they slap the hell out of you hard to get a hold of them mm-hmm. but as far as sitting down on their punch and finishing somebody sometimes they leave a little to be desired uh tj of late or you know it has made those improvements he's st- mm-hmm. and was still maintaining that elusiveness of the switch stancing of if, if you don't know whether he's standing southpaw, orthodox, the kicks, level changes, his takedown ability, his wrestling, and now when he throws punches, you could see that his butt sits down a little bit more in the chair. Yeah, and he throws with his hips more, so he has more power behind his shots, which was probably one of the things I would have, you know, uh, would have been a. a a link, uh, you know, a nick uh, in his, you know, in his armor that mm-hmm. I would have called out before, going, like, "Well, there's your weakness. There, mm-hmm. there is a weakness that I see." And now it's like, now he's he's fixed that, you know, and, and and not only has he fixed it, apparently what you could see, but the results of his fights are are, are telling of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very impressive performance by T.J. Dillashaw. The upset of the night obviously came in the co-main event uh, with Demetrius Johnson. Doing something that um, uh, he has only done a couple of times and and not in uh, many years, which is lose. Uh, He lost a split decision to Henry Cejudo. This rematch uh, in its own right. First time out, uh, Johnson finished Cejudo in the the first round. It was a a, a very quick stoppage. Not quick in terms of a bad stoppage, but uh, uh, the fight didn't last very long. This time around, a totally different fight. Uh, 48-47 on the judges' scorecards. One judge did give it to Demetrius Johnson. Uh, just a quick look at the stats here, and I'll get your thoughts, Frank. Uh, Demetrius did outstrike Cejudo um, significantly over the course of the entire fight. 110-71 to 71 also bested him in significant strikes, 68 to 47. Cejudo was credited with five takedowns. That was the big difference for him in the fight. Johnson had a lot of success with uh, leg kicks, and that's uh, an aspect of this we should talk about as well. But if you if you look at the uh, fight metric numbers, to me, the uh, the clear rounds for me were one and three. Um, I had those for. Johnson, uh, based on strikes and kicks. Um, Cejudo uh, was definitely four and five uh, for me. Round two was the debatable round. Round rounds four and five because it's you know sometimes it's misleading. You look at these 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 stats and you're looking at them across the entire fight, right. but you got to remember it's scored round by round. Yeah. So so four and five, the strike stats were were basically even, and that's where if you're going to give credit for takedowns, that's where that's going to come into play. And then of course we have the next debate, which is yes, but what type of damage are you doing with your takedown? But that uh, second round, Johnson outstruck Cejudo 
but by a margin of 15 to 11, so much closer, you know, much easier for a judge to go one way or another. Um, not, not a robbery in my mind, but uh, definitely a razor-thin margin, definitely a debatable decision. Uh, certainly the case can be made that Johnson, in fact, won it. So with that being said, who, how did you score it? Uh, I actually had it for Demetrius. I thought... Three rounds to two, yeah? Yeah, in fact, actually, uh, I think the fourth round was the one that I was like, okay, he's been on top for so long, maybe we'll give it to him. There wasn't a lot of strikes thrown. Talking about Cejudo. Cejudo, yeah, or, yeah for Henry. Mm -hmm. But um, his takedowns, I didn't really count for anything because, mm -hmm. to me... With the effect of striking and effect of grappling, the first thing they go to is damage, right? And so I never really saw too many shots, and, and obviously the numbers support this. Every t the punches and kicks that you know that Demetrius was landing, I can recall several times seeing Cejudo grab his stomach, his leg buckle. Mm -hmm. So to me, those are damaging strikes. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to, did I ever see Henry land anything on Demetrius quite as often where it looked like, oh, you did damage with that strike. No. Right? So strike-wise, so, so damage-wise, I was all for Demetrius. And then with the takedowns, Suhudo did phenomenal inside trip takedown. It was awesome to see some of them that he was able to land. But Demetrius is so hard to hold down that he spent 90% of his energy holding him down. Yeah. So even from the ground – a lot of those strikes that, that they got counted for him were the strikes he landed on the ground, which wasn't really a lot. So, I mean, you're also counting. I mean, so if you think about those stats, put into those that Dominic Cruz never had a top position in wrestling. So all his striking was landed from on his feet. Significantly stronger shots landed than the one, the ground and pound shots. So the shots also that you're adding in there for Cejudo were some of the pitter-patter shots he threw on the ground. Mm -hmm. He never once really picked his chest up and dropped a bomb where it was like, oh, he, you know, looks like, you know, Dom, you know, Demetrius is hurt. It was more or less, man, this guy is strong, has a great base, and Demetrius can't get out from underneath of him. And I think that if it hadn't been Demetrius, I think the referee probably would have started it up a couple times, you know, especially if it was the fourth round, he got taken down with about two minutes left. Mm. And there wasn't a lot, you know, like, it's like, okay, you're not doing much. The bottom guy was actually, you know, Demetrius was doing more as far as trying to use the butterfly guard to sweep. Uh, if I was looking at it, I'm like, oh, you're just, you're holding on. You're trying to pin him down. And, and I get it. You're trying to hold him down. But I'm not going to give that credit for winning the round because it's like, okay, you controlled him. But there's, there's no damage being done. Mm -hmm. So, uh, actually, after the fight was over with everybody in the room, I was out. That's close. I'm like, I don't think it's even close. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, an easy call. Yeah. So I was shocked when they called Cejudo. I'm like, really? Yeah. You can beat someone with just takedowns now again. Are we back to this again? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that's that's basically, if you think about it, Cejudo just won the title off of takedowns. Mm -hmm. Really? I mean, he didn't. Even with the takedown, it wasn't like he ever really threatened with anything of significance on the ground as far as submission-wise. Can mm -hmm. you remember anything? No, oh, no. Yeah, no. there was no submission. It wasn't no. like he locked up a Kimura and almost got it, wrapped right. his neck, almost had it, head and arm. Um, and then it wasn't like there was a couple times with the ground and pound. I mean, look at Dominic Cruz or look at Demetrius's face when it was done. There wasn't a mark on his face. Yeah. So he didn't land. I mean, no elbows on the ground, nothing. You couldn't, you couldn't grind him up at all. So that's why I felt that it was. Uh, I, I really kind of thought that, uh, honestly, that Demetrius kind of got screwed, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think 
what really hurt Demetrius in this particular fight is contrary to a lot of his other fight, well, pretty much all the other fights that are, are worth discussing, you either see this clinical dominance mm-hmm. uh, on, on his part, or you see some spectacular finishes, or you at least see on in route to that clinical dominance some some points of of a strong submission attempt. And we didn't really get those. Yeah. His damage was more nuanced on Cejudo, which is what you're talking about. The you know the the kicks like like um, uh, and certainly it's a judge's prerogative to see those things. But those things are not as easy, I think, sometimes for a judge to see as okay. He's got his back. He's got a choke that wasn't quite in, but he held it for you know it, it was defended for thirty seconds or something. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, I think leg kicks are easy to tell. You well, kick yeah. a guy in the leg. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was so. I mean, how many times? I mean, did we see Suhudo's stance completely buckled? Right. Inside kick, his stance buckled. Outside kick, his knee buckled. I mean, yeah. at one point, he rolled his ankle in the very beginning of the mm-hmm. first round. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his leg buckled all the time. He had to keep switching to southpaw to avoid getting any more damage to that left leg. Uh, that's why. And then you know, and then a couple times he, I can specifically remember three or four body kicks that made him crunch over where mm-hmm. he whereas a fighter I'm looking I'm like oof that hurt you yeah know, like, if, if that's true. That I mean, if if you're assessing damage certainly the damage to that lead leg is the first thing you're going to go to in the fight it's right. kind of the only thing you can go to in the fight in terms of there there wasn't significant ground and pound like you said when yeah. he was uh he, he was in control of uh, DJ but nonetheless uh DJ loses his title you look at these numbers coming in uh, Demetrius, who, by the way, is going to be uh, 32 in a couple of days, a 13-fight win streak that ties for the second longest in UFC history and the most UFC title defenses at 11. That right there, if if there, if we're starting to look 25 years in uh, to UFC history at numbers – you know, records that may never be beaten. Like people look at, you know, baseball records like Joe DiMaggio's 57 or 56 game hit streak. Uh, Just these things that no one, when people get half the distance to that hit streak, people start talking about it. That's how unreachable it is. I mean, with Demetrius, you don't have anybody. It took him that long to beat Anderson Silva's streak. You don't have anybody even in the uh, conversation. For that. No, I mean, I think John would have been probably the guy that mm-hmm. could do that. But yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, he... John shot himself in the foot. Yeah, if uh, you know, if John can get it together, I think he's a fighter out there that could possibly push that. But but wait, if he pushes now, just think about this for a second. And I'm not I'm not totally discounting you. I'm just saying if 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 he did even at this point, if tomorrow you know John Jones is back. He's starting at zero. Yeah. I mean, he's got to win the title and then defend it yeah. 11 times. Like, that is a crazy number no, it's, to it's be unreal. able to think about doing. Yeah, you're right. It's it's, uh, it's just so difficult now. Everybody is so good. Yeah. You know, it's not like it was 15 years ago, 5 years ago, 10 years ago when, you know, camps had holes. I mean, now you see guys, I mean – everybody pretty much knows how to do everything. And if mm-hmm. you don't do it well, that's just because that's just not your aptitude. It's kind of yeah. like, you know, it's it's like other sports. You know, it's weird. I think finally people are starting to realize that there was there's always this myth in martial arts that technique and training overcame everything. You know, mm-hmm. well, if you train hard enough, you'll get the technique for it, and the technique means you'll be good at it. And it's like, nah, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. I hate to break everybody the news, but, you know, athleticism and uh, uh, aptitude uh, go a long way, you know. Um, 
you know, if a guy is big, strong, and fast and has a great nervous system and, and, and is calm and cool under pressure, he's not going to have a hard time learning martial arts, you know, and he's going to be very good. Another person can learn the same amount of martial arts. You know, I always try to relate it to people. It's like playing baseball. You and I can go do the same amount of baseball practices from the time we were five years old, have a personal coach take us out there. I, I see it all the time now. Parents that really think their kid's going to be the next superstar, mm-hmm. and they push it, and they get, take them all these privates, and they push them, and they push them, and they push them. And I don't want to be that asshole to look at them and be like, man, this was decided at birth. Your mm-hmm. kid's not going to make it mm-hmm. to that level. Yeah. Is your kid going to get better? Absolutely. Yeah, if your kid was a three and now he's a seven, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He's never going to be a 10. He just he wasn't born with the right tendon connection, muscle tissue, you know, lung capacity, whatever you want to call it, you know, mm-hmm. the different aptitudes for different sports. Not not everybody regardless of amount of hard work is cut out to make it in the major league baseball and be a pitcher. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's like some people can do it, some people can't. Same thing with fighting. Just because you like certain aspects, not everybody can be a world-class grappler or a world-class striker. And so I mean, now that you see that with the styles of MMA before there was a lot of like, well, you don't even know what the hell you're doing in this area. You're mm-hmm. you're a stand-up gym or you're a grappling gym or, you know, and so Sorry. That was my mother calling. Uh-oh. We'll get back to her after the podcast. Um, oh. Is my mom calling you now? No, but it's a good thing. That Has I it gotten to that point where when I don't take her call, she calls? That's what that's what your wife does to me. You don't pick up the phone, she calls me. Now my mom's doing it to you. Uh, no, she just texts. Uh, she's going through a drive-thru. Do you want anything? Oh, no, but tell her thank you for asking. That's very considerate. You guys are so considerate with your – anytime the mirrors get anywhere close to a drive-thru or a Starbucks, they're calling friends, seeing who needs what. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, that being the case that now people are starting to realize, or, you know, now everybody is good at everything, and especially yeah. at the UFC, Bellator, ACB, you know, uh, PFL level. Mm-hmm. Really, people know – I mean, it's – the days of a guy in the back showing another guy how to get out of a triangle before the fight are kind of gone. <laughs> yeah. You laugh, yeah. but I've been there. I've really? been when I first started my career at the UFC level, sitting in the back locker room, watching people give each other like, okay, my guy is good at jujitsu. Wow. Do you know how to get out of a triangle? And I'm like watching. I'm like, is anybody else watching this? Holy shit. You're about to go fight in like an hour. Yeah. And your guy's good at a move that you're learning how to get out of right now. You know what wow. I mean? Like. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, oof, this yeah. is scary, you know? Yeah. But those days are gone. Now everybody has a great, you know, yeah. game planning as well. Everybody studies video. I mean, it's hard now. There's no tricks anymore. You know, mm-hmm. be- before you could have like a little bit of trickery where, you know, land a wrist lock on somebody because he didn't know what, what it was. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, everybody kind of knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And now it's coming down to like, okay, well, now it's your aptitude. How good are you at this, you know? Well, let's talk about what this means for actually not only the flyweight division but for the bantamweight division as well Uh, first of all let me tell you what it what it costs uh the ufc and that's a potential super fight between tj dillashaw and demetrius johnson i don't know if they had any plans in place if uh johnson and dillashaw had both won but i could certainly see that conversation really gaining some stream some uh, steam if dj had retained his title because at that point he would have beaten Cejudo twice. The only guy uh, in the the top of the rankings, anywhere in the top five, six or so, that would be uh, compelling, just even in the sense that that uh, Mighty Mouse had not fought him yet, was Sergio Pettis. 
everybody else you're going to be talking about retreads in yeah. terms of, of uh, Johnson's resume. And then with Dillashaw beating Garbrandt now twice, and, uh, you know, I don't know I don't know what the current status of Dominic Cruz is here. I mean, that's kind of the, the mystery guest in terms of the, the Dillashaw conversation, but this would have been the time. Uh, to potentially make that that super fight. That, of course, now will be off the table. The question is, now, Cejudo called out Dillashaw that right after the fight. Yeah, yeah. Said, hey, I'll go I don't up. want to fight Demetrius again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll go up. That was up. smart of him. Yeah. Because, I mean, realistically, I mean, I don't think he won the first one. Yeah. The second one here. The second one, yeah. I don't think he's winning the third one either. I mean, they, you know, Demetrius could probably come back and fix that inside trip defense and make sure that it doesn't occur. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just it's a hard fight, you know, mm-hmm. at 125 to beat Demetrius. I still think he's the best guy in the world at it. Uh, even their stance, they're striking. I, you know, just they look different. So Hudo is just is a phenomenal wrestler, obviously gold medal wrestler, uh, you know, uh, in the Olympics. But, like, even his stance is striking. His roundhouse, just mm-hmm. off the backside, just it looks funny. You know, like, it just you could the power in it is just not necessarily there. Yeah. Uh, so for him to go ahead and call out one of the, the other guys to move up to call out TJ, I thought that was a smart move. One, it keeps him the champion a little bit longer at flyweight because he doesn't risk losing his belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always a chance he wins the fight, uh, especially if they judge it off of takedowns. I mean, the guy can pretty much take down, you know, who can't he take down? Mm-hmm. If you can get Demetrius to the ground and hold him down, you're going to get anybody else in Bantamweight to the ground um, and hold him. Uh and so if they, they judge heavily on that again, uh, you know, I think that, you know, a lot, you know, I think TJ could be in trouble with that kind of fight. Mm-hmm. And if he does lose, he, he lost to, you know, the Bantamweight champion and he took a shot and he goes back, he's still the flyweight champ. So Dominic, I was just looking at, you know, poor Dominic. I mean, you, all the history of the injuries, you always have to ask the question. Is, is what could have. Yeah, is, and also is he currently healthy? Because he last fought uh, uh, December 30th, 2016. That was his loss to Garbrandt. He was booked against Jimmy Rivera actually a year to the day uh, after that, December 30th, 2017. But he pulled out of the fight uh, with a broken arm. And I don't know what his current status is, actually, unless I'm either. sleeping on something. But no, we were all trying to figure that out that night. We were bringing it up. Yeah, that was that was eight months ago. So let's say, uh, I mean, he would certainly have a compelling case to make against Dillashaw. But if uh, if Cruz is not ready to go, do you let Henry Cejudo come up and fight Dillashaw, or uh, or do you give Dillashaw a bantamweight contender? And, and really probably the bigger question than all that is, if anybody deserves an immediate title rematch, isn't it Demetrius Johnson? Yeah, no, I think that if they don't give Demetrius Johnson an immediate rematch, it, that's kind of bullshit. You know, uh, I think that he's earned it as far as what he's pulled off, what he's done, his credentials as being considered one of the best in the world, mm-hmm. probably one of the best ever. Uh, we've, we've called it out. I mean, records being set that he set – Losing such a split decision, you know, it wasn't like it was a one-sided, uh, you know, a beating. It was arguably could have gone either way, you know, in most people's cases. I mean, even the judges had it split between them, two and one apiece. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if there's ever been a guy who deserves an immediate rematch, it has to be uh, Johnson. If they don't give him the immediate rematch, it just shows you that 
you know, and, and I always know that it has to be about business too, but you always kind of hope there's a balance between business and the spirit of the sport itself of martial arts, of fighting. You know what, though? I think that, and I know this is the, the you know, age-old conversation with Demetrius and the business and the pay-per-view numbers and everything, but guess what? You got yourselves a rivalry here. You've got yourselves a trilogy. Yeah, I think and, so. And, and the UFC has never gone wrong, at least as I mean, off the top of my head, unless you can think of an example to prove me wrong, has never gone wrong with a high-profile trilogy. I mean, there haven't been a lot of them, first of all. And any time there has been, when I say high-profile, I'm talking like for championships or at least like a you know top five in a division uh, uh, standing, two guys that have fought three times has always done money that that I can think of. And uh, this would this would certainly be one of them. I mean, this might be exactly what Demetrius Johnson needed in terms of marketability, which is a foil. Whether or not you know you and I mean you're, yeah, yeah. you're you know you definitely like Demetrius in the third fight, the rubber match. But to the fans, I mean, one guy won one, one guy won the other one. Now it's I mean you know that's a very simple concept for yeah. fans to understand. Um, you know, and I was just looking. I mean, if if the precedent, and this this would certainly be the precedent, would be Anderson Silva because Silva was dominant in the middleweight division, like Demetrius was in the flyweight division, and it was Silva's defense record that Demetrius broke. Uh, Silva got an immediate rematch against Chris Weidman. Yeah, and then also too, look at Ronda Rousey. She yep. didn't necessarily get an immediate rematch, but as soon as she was healthy to fight, she got an immediate title shot. Right. Conor McGregor. Yeah. I mean, you know, is coming. Yeah, around. Conor McGregor is coming back immediately after you know yeah. a, a very long layoff as yeah. the number one contender facing. So I mean, it's hard to argue that Demetrius doesn't deserve it unless yeah. he wants to take time off and let Cejudo go on and fight. I know that. Uh, I think that he, his foot's broke. I really, I heard he was questioning it. I didn't hear yeah, a, a definitive answer. I on saw that. crutches. And, yeah. Well, here's what I think. I but think I mean, a broken bone, six to eight weeks. Yeah. That's not. I mean, if we talk about a fight six months from now, that's the, the, a broken foot's not going to keep him out of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I think then what you have are a number of good possibilities because you've either got a rematch with Cejudo if DJ needs time off. Cejudo going up and fighting TJ TJ uh, Dillashaw is interesting, and then um, you know because also I mean this is also the era of uh, you know guys wanting to uh, possess titles in two divisions. You know Connor does it now. Daniel Cormier's doing it. It would be interesting to see one of the little guys. Uh, yeah, I think try the only way that they well. allow it to happen is if if Demetrius is okay with it. If mm -hmm. Demetrius says, "Hey, I'm gonna." I've held this thing for a long time. I'm going to take a year off or whatever. Yeah. Then if Cejudo then can move up and, and challenge a weight class up, uh, I have no argument for it. Mm. But if Demetrius comes out and goes, I want to fight and I want immediate rematch, that trumps anything Cejudo wants because Demetrius has put in the work. He's been the champ. The, he was the first champion, the longest running champion now, uh, you know, tied for the record for the most consecutive wins. I mean, we can go down his accolades of what he's done for the sport, what he is as a representative of the sport. You, there has to be some kind of like he's earned it. I mean, mm -hmm. if anybody's earned it, it has to be him. Yeah. Um, anything else jump out at you on the card? I tell you, uh, I think I've been sleeping a little bit on uh, Hanato Moicano. 
uh, yeah, the guy that beat Cub Swanson, uh, subbed uh, Cub uh, in the uh, first round, got a performance of the night bonus for it. And, um, you know, coming in, his only loss uh, was to Brian Ortega, uh, a third-round submission back in uh, July of last year. And, of course, Ortega now is, uh, you know, on deck for uh, – a title shot who's supposed to have it against Max Holloway before Holloway had to pull out of their fight. So I was uh, I was super impressed with him. Yeah, because I think the last fight I remember seeing of uh, of uh, Moicano, Moicano, mm-hmm. I can never pronounce his name. Fuck, mm-hmm. uh, was when he fought Stevens. Mm, uh, yeah, Jeremy Stevens yeah. had a win over him. Yeah, but I don't think I remember being was for some reason was that the fight that the guy that fought Stevens. I, I don't think I was overtly impressed with. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, ah, you know, I, I, I'm mm-hmm. about to go back and watch the fight again before I speak. Right. It was a split decision uh, back in April of last. Was he year. very backwards moving in that fight? I don't. Uh, I don't remember it much. If I, re- I want to think that I remember. I think I had Stevenson winning the fight, mm-hmm. Jeremy, mm-hmm. because of his aggressiveness. You know, and, and you know the effect yeah. of striking coming forward. You know. Yeah, I have to go back and we'll have to watch it. We have to pull yeah. that on fight pass. A very uh, durable uh, fighter in the uh, middleweight division, yeah. uh, Tiago Santos uh, is the guy I was going to mention. Uh, fighting Kevin Holland, uh, they kicked off the pay-per-view card. If you remember this fight, Kevin yeah. Holland making his UFC debut. This is a guy who went right from um, – Right from the contender, uh, right? contender series to uh, opening a pay per view, and Tiago San- uh, Santos came in with his number thirteen middleweight ranking, and it was brought up by the commentators during the fight. This was a classic example of nothing really to gain for mm-hmm. Tiago Santos. I mean, you know, expected yeah. to win one. It was not easy. It was an exciting no, fight to watch. In fact, actually, that kid Kevin Holland, I actually brought him up today at practice mm. of of. You know, sometimes there's a part of me that's starting to kind of have that brain that's going like, huh, I'd like to coach that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if I could coach that guy, I could really, you know, like what what could I do with that guy? Yeah. And watching Holland and seeing his mindset and his athleticism, uh, he has a lot still to develop. But uh, I was extremely impressed with him. Mm-hmm. I really was. I was actually, you know, um, he. I thought he made a great showing of himself. I thought that, uh, you know uh, – a couple fixes in his game, and that guy could really honestly be, you know, a year and a half, two years from now, that guy could be somebody who was, you know, right near a title shot, you yeah. know, because of, uh, of again, like he athletically has it, he mentally already has it, he already has that kind of confidence, and his tool chest is not complete. He really he has some dangerous things in his tool chest right now, but he has a lot of gaps in his game. Uh, there are a lot of things I saw that he did wrong. I'm like, yeah. ah, shit, that was ugly. Mm-hmm. But I saw the potential there, and I was very impressed with it. And in fact, I thought that it wasn't brought up enough. Listening to the commentary, that I'm like, hey guys, does anybody else notice the guy Tiago after the first round is exhausted trying to beat mm-hmm. this guy up? Mm-hmm. He was gassed. I mean, that's yeah. why he started shooting and taking him down because. He couldn't put that guy away. He was tough, you know. So, and now he's tough on top of everything else that I said. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're right in the sense that Tiago did kind of hurt his, you know, I think his status a little bit, and it might also help him though. I think some of the people that look at his stature, he's so intimidating to look at. You look at the guy, and he's like an alpha male. You're like, man, mm-hmm. this is. I have to design a fighter. This guy looks, you know, like a you know world class athlete. Mm-hmm. 
but seeing that his gas tank and and some of the mistakes he was making with some of the with all the experience he already has if i was some of the other middleweights i think if if maybe i was hesitant to fight him before i think now i'd be licking my chops going you know what let me go ahead and jump on this guy before you know, before everybody else realizes too. You know, it's mm. always that situation that happens when people go, "Oh man, this guy's, you know, unbeatable. He's, you know, yeah. incredible." And all of a sudden, people get exposed. And I think that Holland wasn't good enough to completely expose Tiago, but I saw things that exposed it. I was like, "Oh, I see a bunch of holes here too." Yeah. For a guy who's as touted as he is, you know, oh, no one of the top five wants to face him. I'm like, "Oh fuck! If you give me any of the top five guys, we'll talk. I'll tell you how to beat this guy in one round." Good night of fights all the way around, uh, and the main and the co-main definitely did not disappoint. Now, news was made outside of the octagon as well because prior to the weigh-ins, the UFC held their now traditional, I guess you would call it a seasonal or quarterly press conference. They've gotten to uh, the last couple of years where they do these press conferences that basically preview the next uh, two or three months worth of fights at a time and the big news was that conor mcgregor is coming back he's booked october 6th to take on khabib nurmagomedov headlining here in las vegas it's going to be a title shot for the lightweight title of course uh, mcgregor's been away titles were stripped um this is the fight that we've talked about for so long being the, to my recollection, the worst possible matchup for Conor McGregor. It is. <laughs> you know, um, first of all, I guess pretty impressive that he's willing to take the worst possible matchup coming back after being away as long as he has. It's going to be a big money fight for him, of course. But uh, um, I, I believe he is, you know, he's pretty much opening as an underdog, not a huge underdog, and that could change. It'll change. You know, but uh, thoughts on that fight? I mean, going any differently than Khabib Nurmagomedov ragdolling you left and right all no, around the octagon? I, 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 if right now we're putting money mm-hmm. on it, uh, my safe money's on Khabib. Um, do I think it's interesting for the fact that there's still that one, I mean, out of the 26 fights, that just shows you how good Khabib is. Mm-hmm. Out of 26 fights, I did see Michael Johnson land one straight left and it kind of hurt him. Yeah. And if, and if Connor lands that same straight left, Khabib's going to go to sleep. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that left that Connor has, that straight left puts everybody Power on queer Power and you know lightning I mean? fast. Well, maybe that's a knockout Khabib, yeah. but it's going to hurt him. Yeah. And that could really change the outcome of a round and, yeah. and, and cause some problems. Um, uh, that being said, but you got to think that Khabib knows that the straight left coming down the middle is the only shot that really Connor has to really win the fight mm-hmm. and early. If uh, that's just that's a lot that Connor has to hope lines up, you know. If I was Khabib, just you know, just grind him at first, first round, avoid the uh, you know, just clinch him. Don't even take a shot. Clinch with him, walk him against the cage. You can make it ugly if you want. Grind him. Use because we know that Connor has those really high octane anaerobic type musculature, which allows him to be extremely powerful and quick. Mm-hmm. But he burns out. You know, uh, we've seen it in fights before where if he gets in those grinding fights. Like he did in the second fight with Nate Diaz, that fight, I mean, the third round he was backpedaling. He looked like he was ready to fall on his face, and Nick Nate Diaz can't put the same amount of pressure that Khabib can put on him. Mm-hmm. You know, so if he thought that was bad, it's going to be worse. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be. You know, it's a pretty I think safe bet to say that you know it's a Khabib fight. Connor does have that one. You know that 
that puncher's chance, if anybody has it, it's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, it's funny when people are trying to use the, well, you know, Ala Quinta went five rounds, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, Khabib. And I was like, yeah, but Ala Quinta is actually much more well-rounded than mm. Connor yeah. is. You know, if he, if right now Khabib or, you know, Connor and Ala Quinta would have a grappling match mm-hmm. or a wrestling match, you know, whether it would be submission grappling on the ground or a wrestling match on their feet, Ala Quinta beats, wins in both those, you know. Uh, you know, he's a well-rounded fighter on top of a, a pretty good striker, you know, very good hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's that's not really the great analogy to make there. If anything, I would sit there and go back to the fight looking at how, you know, uh, of a um, money ma- money shot, Chad. Uh, oh, Chad Mendez. Chad yeah. Mendez. Money shot. That'd be a good nickname for him. He should have gone with that. <laughs> Chad Mendez, you should've know. Should have just stopped at money. Yeah. Well, you know, it was money shot. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they made him change it. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it was money shot. Oh. Because of wrestling, he had a money shot, you know? Yeah. But because of obviously the pornographic, oh. not a lot of people wrestle in college to go, oh, he has a money shot, you know? Yeah, right? yeah. So that's what, at least that's what he told me. I don't know if it was always a joke that it always yeah. had the illusion, you know? Uh, but because obviously you can't say money shot and not make people think of a, you know, yeah. uh, what we're all thinking about right now. Right. <laughs> uh, so they, they, yeah, they took out the shot part. You know, oh, okay. They asked him to cut that out. So, yeah. yeah. No, it yeah. was money shot. Yeah. But I mean, look at, Ch- you know, Chad took him down, I think, twice in yep. both rounds, right? You know, and uh, the problem is, is if Mendez took him down, Khabib's taking him down. The difference is that when Mendez got on top of him, Mendez had a two week camp. He wasn't in great shape. Uh, he wasn't able to put any heat on him once he got him down. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in the world thinks that Connor can survive underneath of Khabib on the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's nothing against Connor. I don't know anybody in the lightweight division besides possibly, uh, you know, um, Tony Ferguson. That was the fight that I would have found intriguing to be on the bottom of. Yeah of 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 uh, uh khabib because ferguson's jujitsu and his limbs he's so long i'm like well man he's sick with those darces and guillotines this might be interesting you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you know now you, you've perked my curiosity whereas you know connor on the bottom he's just trying to get back up to his feet and you know he's going to take a, a a beating you know like like which most guys i mean everybody else the 26 people that he's faced when they end up on the bottom of khabib it takes a beating. He's one of the best in the world, if not the best at ground and pound. He probably has the most vicious ground and pound that I can. I mean, can you think of anybody else that's more vicious on top of you? No. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, um, you know, and it's, he's one of these guys too, Khabib, that you just think about how long we've been talking about him, like how long we've been talking about this level of dominance. Well, and he and still it, has to make weight though. Well, there's the making the weight and there's injuries that he's dealt with. I mean, it's taken him a lot long. I kind of feel like we're having a conversation that naturally we should have been having a number of years ago in yeah. terms of him becoming champion and then, you know, dominating challengers. But, uh, yeah, because uh, he's been in the UFC almost five years now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember well, when he first came over, the Fertitas and stuff, because I think yeah. I was over at uh, Keith Clevins, and he had to do some of his rehab there for his knee surgery. Mm. And, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the UFC was taking care of it. And that's when I first heard about him. I mean, at that point, he was extremely highly touted, and everybody knew that he was going to be the next best thing. And yeah. because of injuries and, and whatnot, and just, you're right, it's been a much slower, you know, claim to fame than somebody with his accolades and yeah. his abilities probably should have been. The missed weights and then, you know, back and forth. some, mm-hmm. And then not only some issues that were his fault, you know, the weight issues, and then, you know, opponents getting injured and pulling out. 
not his fault, but you, you know, all compounded together has prolonged uh, you know his career. Any surprise on your part that uh, Conor McGregor gets a plea deal in New York for throwing dollies and all is forgiven right away? from the ufc no. standpoint i think everybody in the u.s knows money solves all problems yeah yeah i don't think it's much of a surprise there either yeah. let's uh turn our attention to bellator here uh your current home before uh we wrap this one up because they made some big news you know they've on the heels of their very successful heavyweight tournament which is still ongoing they are now ready to embark on a welterweight tournament um, that is another division where they are uh, rich with talent, and uh, the brackets have been announced. So on the uh, left side of the bracket, commencing with uh, a fight between Douglas Lima and Andre Koroskov on September 29th, uh, the other pairing on that side of the bracket is going to be Paul Daly and Michael Venom Page. That's oh, an exciting that's, matchup. That's extremely exciting. Yeah. For sure. Then uh, over on the other side of the bracket, you've got uh, Neiman Gracie is going to be taking on Ed Ruth. And Rory McDonald and John Fitch, a couple of UFC alums there. You're... Oh. Man, that's a rough fight for Rory to take the first round on. Yeah. Fitch is just a pain in the ass yeah. fight, man. Yeah. Yeah, um, your alternate fight, there is an alternate fight between Lorenz Larkin and um, um, uh, Marslov Amsov. Oh. That's a tough one to pronounce. I'm a little surprised that Larkin uh, is in an alternate fight and not, although... The guy fighting Lima, I didn't quite know right off the bat. Um, oh, yeah, uh, Andre Koroskov. Do you, are you familiar with him? Yeah, I'm familiar with him. Honestly, the, the the thing that surprised me a little bit is maybe not putting Larkin either in the probably the Neiman Gracie spot, maybe against Ed Ruth. But then again, you got the Gracie name, and yeah. you know, I don't know. It's fine either way. I mean, look, sometimes those alternate fights really turn into something. Let's us not forget that Daniel Cormier started out as the alternate in yeah. the uh, <laughs> Strike Force Grand Prix and ended up winning the whole thing. But that's uh, that's a that's, solid tournament. Man. It's a solid tournament. Ed Ruth is somebody I'm interested to see how he's going to do. Yeah, it's a solid tournament. It's good stuff for Bellator. Uh, it'll uh, it'll build build momentum and a lot of anticipation. Hey, there's Bella walking on set there for a minute. You just made a brief appearance there. Cameo like Bob Hope used to do on The Tonight Show, a little before your time. Um, before my time. It was a little before your time, <laughs> yeah. They used to, on The Tonight Show, this was when Johnny Carson would host it. Uh, I used to see this as a kid. What would happen is um, they'd be right in the middle of the show, and Bob Hope had basically an open invitation to walk on the show anytime, right in the middle of it. They'd be right in the middle of having a guest on whatever, and all of a sudden you'd hear, dun, 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 and the music would kick in, and Bob Hope would just walk onto the set, usually with a putter over his shoulder for some strange reason, like a golf club, and he would just make a surprise appearance. <laughs> if we had a bigger budget, we could do that with uh, someone. It would be fun to have. We should think about who the ultimate random mystery guest would be that we would just, what we would do is we would just, um, we would just employ them and they would, they would get paid every episode, but we would only use them periodically and it will always be a big surprise when they walked on. My vote's for Mark the Hammer Coleman. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. If you <laughs> if you remember where to come on the show, yeah. just, just have him kind of wander, you know, show up periodically, randomly in the background, and uh, say hello. Do you know he has figured in strangely to the um, Congressman Jim Jordan scandal? Are you familiar with this? That's the Ohio going on? guy. Yeah, yeah, that, that was okay with the. T- we were just talking about this. Oh yeah, or I, I was. Yeah, we were sitting there talking about how. Because, I mean, the sex scandal with the Olympic uh, or the gymnastics, the U.S. gymnastics team. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? That asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and then now you have this guy where it's like, I, it's bad no matter what when someone gets sexually assaulted. But I can see why as a man, and you're supposed to be a, you know, you're here, you're a young male who's an alpha male, who's a wrestler, you know, here the epitome of, you know, you know, old Greek warfare, mm-hmm. wrestling, you know, collegiate style at Ohio, a tough top college for wrestling, you know, and some guy touches you inappropriately that's supposed to be one of the guys on the team, you know, and not saying something because of shame. Mm-hmm. I get that, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, I can relate to that to where I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, if someone said, uh, you know, why I didn't come forward immediately, mm-hmm. I'm like, I get that. If you're a 21 year old guy, you might not want to tell people and be like, "I just rather just just go away and just well, don't talk about this." Also, and- at the hands of somebody that everyone around you is building up yeah. as some sort of, uh, you know, a- example. I mean, that was the whole problem with Penn State. You know, that those guys, those football coaches, were considered heroes. You know, it actually you know? helped me in this situation because I think until I read about this story, mm-hmm. I never understood. Or never had enough empathy or understanding for why a woman would not immediately go to authorities mm, if somebody, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. sexual misconduct, right? I'm like, you know, when you hear these stories of girls waiting so mm-hmm. long, because, you know, like, oh, they were shame. And, 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 I, and it's like, ah, kind of sounds like now you just want money. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's, I kind of fell into that category. I'm like, if it bothered you so much, why didn't you say something? Why'd you wait 15 years to yeah. say something, you yeah. know? Uh, but then now that it happened to the boys, and I can kind of almost, obviously I can relate more with a man, I'm sitting there going, well, what I, I don't know what I would do. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I got sexually touched by as a young man and sit there and go, that would be a very shameful conversation to have with mm-hmm. an authority. And then knowing that now you're going to have to go to court and you have to testify, everybody's going to know that you're the guy that, you know, it's like, yeah, that's kind of embarrassing, that whole ordeal. I can see now why, as a woman, you just want it to go away. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to say anything, you know. And mm-hmm. then when other women do step forward, not so much that you're jumping on the bandwagon, but it's like, yes, I want justice, but I just don't want to stand here by myself and be the only one under the microscope. Yeah, I'll, I'll come forward, but you know, there's there's strength in numbers. Well, so I, I get it. You know, yeah. I guess like that actually helped me understand the yeah. Be, be more empathetic towards the, the you know the plight. Well, I should explain that uh, the way Mark Coleman is figuring into this is Mark Coleman says there's no way that Jim Jordan didn't know about this, and Coleman was a Jordan backer. Like it's not like he's got a vendetta against this guy or anything like yeah, he'd that. He'd go back there for years. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. fights he fought in the UFC that he'd go back there and train in the yeah. wrestling room. But apparently, he's saying no. You know, let's let's be honest. This was something that that people knew about. So. Interesting just to see his name yeah, pop Coleman up. Coleman wrestled there in the late 80s, right? Early 90s? Late 80s? I would think it would be late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was just interesting to see his name pop up in like a article you're yeah. reading on the AP. You know, there's Mark Coleman's name. Yeah. yeah. In fact, actually when it happened, it made me think of uh, of um, the monster, uh, Kevin Randleman. Yeah. Because I know Kevin had had issues with sexual abuse as a child. Mm. And he talks about it on interviews, mm-hmm. where that you know kind of what drove him into wrestling and being a yeah. fighter. 
I'm, so I, I sat there and wondered. I'm like, oh, shit. He, then he goes to a college where there's mm-hmm. a sexual mm-hmm. predator there. Mm-hmm. I wonder if something ever happened to him. Or, you know, obviously now it's too late to ask him. Yeah. But I wonder, like, if what could have happened or what would have what would he have said about the situation? Yeah. You know, because he wrestled there in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So he was there during that era. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, the Joe Paterno movie they made, uh, HBO made, with no. Al Pacino playing Joe Paterno? It's interesting. I mean, the, the, the common thread with all that, and this is this – is, this is what stops that kind of stuff dead in its tracks is that at the point in time that something like that becomes uh, uh, discovered, nothing is more important. Yeah, nothing. Everything stops. We're not talking about fights anymore. We're not talking about wrestling. We're not talking about winning football yet. That all just stopped. And all of a sudden, we have to deal with this. And you mm-hmm. see in that film, the moment you start wrestling, uh, pardon the pun, but I mean the moment you start wrestling with it where it's like, well – let me hear a little justification here, a little justification there. Well, we don't really know. You know, anything that gets us to the next big game or the next big tournament or the thing that, oh, you know what, let's let, let's win that game and then, then of course, we're, we're going to address it, you know. Yeah, and I think there's certain things. You start making those deals yeah, you with know what? yourself. Now, there has to be certain aspects of your morality. There's a hard line yeah. drawn in the sand. Mm-hmm. And um, the part that I don't, I can't, uh, uh, relate with with those with Paterno and, and some of the coaching yeah. staff is that they're saying that you know we were aware of maybe some things being brought to our attention we passed that on to the proper proper people yeah. above us and you know well you know we don't know what you know. and I'm like that's where I kind of you lose me I'm like no right. that's not good enough you know what I mean the, yeah that would be the equivalent of me knowing that you know if if my neighbor was was uh, you know uh, raping his child. And I'm like, well, I called the police. They didn't do much about it. Well, then take it a step further. Do something about yeah, it. Like this, that's this, a yeah. human life that something bad is happening to. You know, it's you know, as a as part of the race, you have to try to keep yeah. doing something. I mean, I realize at a certain point, you don't put yourself maybe in physical harm. You know, if, if I see someone pull a gun on somebody, it's like, well, I might not necessarily intervene. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I'm not getting to a gunfight for you, you know, like, no. you know, shit, I, I, I'm not going to, you know, I don't know you well enough to die for you, but, but at the same time, you know, if you see something like that, it's like, you know, like the one assistant coach, that, that guy really honestly bothered me the most out of everybody, uh, from what, you know, and obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I follow the story as closely as probably, you know, most, but I mean, I, I, I you know, if I took a test on it, I'm not going to get a 100%, but uh, the one assistant coach that, you know, that said he walked into the bathroom and he actually heard the noise and mm-hmm. looks around and, and sees uh, Sandusky, you know, basically sodomizing a, a child, you know, a 12-year-old or 11-year-old mm-hmm. kid at the time, right? And he says he didn't know what to do, so he left. And I'm like, fuck, you didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking most people would be shout out what the fuck. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't, you don't have the personality to become physically violent, you know, stop, you know, make it apparent that, hey, I'm sitting here watching you. Like, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. you can embarrass and shame him to get the situation to stop. And then, you know, then, then you go to your father. Like, I, I even said that, you know, to my wife. I was saying, I'm like, man, if my son or daughter ever came to me and said that they saw this situation, and didn't know what they should have done and didn't know how to handle it properly. I think I failed as a father. Like, wow, fuck. You don't really know what to do? You 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 you, you saw this happening and you didn't know what to do? Yeah. Really? Like yeah. huh. Yeah. No, no, no. That's the problem when you build up these cultures of it's it's not unlike 
organized religion. It's not unlike what you saw in the Catholic yeah. Church. When you elevate these people to this level of something, a, lo- something a little better than mere mortals, you know, yeah, hero worship, you yeah. know, then, then that's, that's culturally uh, part of the problem. And you, you see that in the film, too, where, you know, people were so defensive of Paterno. You know, even like he was, he was the one being wronged in all this until uh, until the evidence really became clear. Uh, before you go on, yeah. I think that that's becoming less of a problem because like mm. everybody talks about the negativity of social media. Yeah, I think one of the positive turns on social media is that because we get to know people more, and because of the way the news outlets are now. Everybody has a camera on their phone. So many things are seen. So many people are more seen as mortal that mm-hmm. were considered before because of their ability to sing and dance and catch a football were considered you know, better than the rest of us. I think now people are realizing that we're all human. Some of us have talents that others don't. But at the end of the day, we're all still human. And I think it kind of kills that a little bit. You know? That's a good point. Yeah, I, I think, think it brings true. us closer in contact to realize that, like you know, like you know, a, a Justin Bieber, like oh, you know, you can see the moronic things that at times he does, but you know, which I think is pretty normal for mm-hmm. uh, if you were to give a teenager millions of dollars and, and make them as famous as that. Is there going to be some issues? I'm like, yeah. If I get a hundred kids at his age and give them the money and the fame that he has, it's probably not going to be a good thing. It's probably going to not work out for the best. Whereas I think if this was 20 years ago, we would never have heard about and seen some of the the, the mistakes that they mm-hmm. that some of our so-called you know heroes would have made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they also sort of there because of mass exposure to social media. A lot of times, but to the by the point in time that you get caught doing something bad, you've kind of documented your own what yeah. would be like a paper trail you know you can kind of go a lot of times you just go through somebody's twitter timeline you're like oh yeah here was the, here was this sign here was that picture here was that statement you know they had a obviously a long uh history of uh of doing that we gotta talk about it. you know about the the guy the, the writer for the uh, the creator of the, the guardians of the galaxy yes yeah what was your take on that i don't know that i looked closely enough at it um but I tell you what, ask me that yeah, next week and I'll have an opinion it about it. Yeah, I'm starting to really think that we're kind of taking this whole PC thing and well, that's the thing you got to be kind careful. Of far, no, you know? the thing is, I mean, it's always a balancing act. You've got to be very careful about. I mean, you know, uh, uh, increased attention on it, like you just said, is a good thing, but at the same time, that means there's all the more uh, importance placed on governing that and making sure that that you know is not abused because there's always opportunists. There's always opportunists that'll come along and try to take advantage. Speaking of taking advantage, though, Frank, something that is perfectly acceptable to take advantage of is uh, the Amazon banner on the front of phoneboothfighting.com. Why is that? Well, for more on that, here's you. (laughs) Here's me. (laughs) Well, it's a very easy way to help us out here at the show. Uh, If you do all your shops for your wants and your needs, just go through Amazon. Go through the banner on our webpage at phoneboothfighting.com. By clicking through that Amazon banner, it goes through a portal. At no extra charge to you, a small percentage of all your purchases come back to us. 
more important than ever before to uh, support this little podcast by clicking through the Amazon banner. We uh, much appreciate it. Also, you can order official show merchandise. That benefits the show as well by going to phoneboothfighting.com. Click on the uh, store tab, and you'll see our fine selection of T-shirts and designs and autograph posters and some other stuff that is uh, up there. Also, something you can do that won't cost you a penny is go to iTunes, look up Phone Booth Fighting. First of all, subscribe if you're not already subscribed. But even if you're already subscribed uh, through iTunes or any other avenue, click those five stars on iTunes. That's beneficial to us. Give us that five-star review. Uh, Take a moment or two and write a favorable line in the review section. We like to read those on the air. Remember, we are available absolutely free of charge and twice weekly, not only in iTunes, but on our Phone Booth Fighting YouTube channel which is a great way to see the guests and the production value in studio and not just hear them. Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, basically anywhere where podcasts are available. Tell a friend. That is how we grow this thing, one organic listener at a time. So uh, I guess I only have you to thank for this episode. No guests on this one because we had a lot of fights to talk. So uh, thanks to the fighters for fighting. And uh, on uh, uh, on behalf of Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter, and we'll see you right back here next time on Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was kung fu.